Uh, well, good morning, church. Is it, is it a good morning? Uh, okay, I'm just wondering. So, uh, some of y'all were suspect on that. And so I'm excited about being here with you guys today and, and visiting with you in God's Word. Um, and so uh, Rusty invited me up to be a part of the Together Conference. And through that, we got to learn about uh, uh, the, the church, the home, and the mission. That was kind of the theme. Is that, that was the theme, correct? I'm talking to you, Rusty. Okay, all right. We, we're long-time friends. He doesn't even listen to me anymore. Right? Um, and, so, and so in that, we got to, to spend some time um, looking at how, how the, the church, the home, and the mission work together and how we're to be followers of Christ. And in that, we are to um, um, push into the things of the Lord so that the world around us can see the goodness and the greatness of our God and Savior. Would you agree with me this morning that we have a good, good God? Yeah, absolutely. And a great Savior. Yeah, that's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. Right? And so, so I, hey, guys, I like to have a good time. And so feel, feel free to laugh at me or with me, what, whatever comes first. Um, so don't, I see some raised eyebrows in the back. They're not sure what to think about the guy in the red up here this morning. Um, it's okay. Um, and so I, I'm excited about opening God's Word with you. Um, I, I went to Crossroads Baptist Church in Marshall, Texas. I bring a, a warm welcome from them um, to you guys. Uh, we actually transitioned pretty close to the same time. I got to Crossroads maybe about three or four months or something like that after you did, after he made it to Crossroads. And so um, I'm excited to, to talk to you about the book of Philippians. So if you have your copy of God's Word, let's just get to it. Um, if you would open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. We get to see Paul writing here, and Paul is writing a group of people in um, Philippi, in the church there, um, because he loves them, he has fond memories of them, and he's praying for them, and he desires to see them um, grow in their relationship with the Lord. And so, as I was praying about what I was going to speak on at the conference, the Lord also was working on me about what to talk about this morning, and just kind of the, that, that continuing encouragement of the body of Christ coming together with a, a unified purpose, seeking to follow Him in all that they do. And so I kept coming back to Philippians chapter 1. And so this morning, this is what we're going to look at. As Paul is writing the church there, he has this fond remembrance of them. And so let me give you a little bit of information about what's going on here. Um, so Paul helped start the church at Philippi on his second missionary journey. Uh, in, Bible, in the Bible, Acts um, chapter 16, we see Paul getting to, to visit with a lady by the name of Lydia. And then also we see the Philippian jailer coming to know the Lord. And through that, they believe the church was, was started there in Philippi. And so there was a strong connection with Paul and the church throughout his ministry. There were many times that the, uh, the church there at Philippi or the Philippian church would take up an offering and help out Paul in his journey and send things that he needed. And so Paul loved these guys, not because they were sending him things, but because they were brothers and sisters with him in Christ. And so as Paul is writing them this letter, he's writing from prison. This is one of the prison epistles. And so this letter from prison, Paul is in Rome, they believe, in prison. And he is writing as he remembers and he prays the Philippian church. One, to thank them for their support, but two, to also address things that are going on in their church that needed to be addressed. And so it's great um, to have uh, a letter of encouragement, but it's also uh, great to have someone speak truth into your life. Can you agree with that with me? It's always great to have someone to speak truth 
into your life. And so Paul is wanting to do that. He's wanting to speak truth into their life because there were some issues that were going on in the church. Issues like um, there was rivalry that was happening within the church. There was selfish ambition that was going on within the church. There was also false teaching that was creeping into the church. And through that, Paul was taking a time and opportunity to visit with them about how they need to be people that seek the Lord in all of their walk and everything they do so that they can, they can show a, a unified front to those that were around them. And so this is what we want to do today. We want to preach, or I want to preach and visit with you for a few moments about what it looks like to have a life in Christ. And what that life is, should look like and supposed to look like as we seek and we follow him. So Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read four verses together. And then I'm going to fill up the next two hours with those two verses. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, an hour and a half. So Philippians chapter 27 through 30, we're going to read together. I'm going to invite you this morning, if you would, something that we do at my church um, I know that you don't necessarily do it um, every Sunday, and, but I'm going to invite you to do that with me this morning. If you would stand with me as we read together, or as I read to you and you follow along in your copy of God's Word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. If you're unable to stand, it is okay. But we stand uh, in, in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. So Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27, reads, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or an absence, I may hear of you and that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we're thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful for your time to, for our time to be together in your word. And so, Lord, we just pray, Father, that this morning your word would do a mighty work in our lives. Father, as we study your word and as it washes over us, Lord, that it would bring to mind um, sins that need to be repented of, Lord, that it would... It would wash over us and in, into us a desire to follow you, Lord. We know that your word is a living word that changes us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, our desire would be to read it and to apply it to our lives. Father, I pray this morning, if there's someone here that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, Lord, I pray that today would be the beginning day of their journey, Lord, as they give their life to you, as they allow you to, to change them, as you are drawing them to salvation. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in Philippians chapter 1, as we make our way to the passage that we're going to be in, we see if you have your headings, there's some uh, helps there. The first thing we see Paul doing is a greeting. He's telling them who he is. And then from there, he goes into this thanksgiving and prayer, right? He's excited to pray for them, and he's thankful for them because the Lord has not only started a good work in them, but the Lord is going to bring that good work to completion in them. Church, aren't you glad that the Lord is going to bring to completion the work that he began in you? Yes. 
Yes, that this is not something that he is leaving us on our own to do, but he is working in and around our lives and through our lives to bring us to completion. Can I, can I be honest with you this morning, church? You won't get there until you get there. And I say that meaning this. Until you are face-to-face with the Lord, you're not through. You're not complete. Right? If there, if there are some, some silver-haired saints with us this morning, listen to me. You don't retire from serving the Lord. You don't retire from your journey with Christ. You continue to grow. And so in that, we see Paul, he's thankful for that. He's He's calling out to them. He's, he's telling them how thankful he is that the Lord is doing that. And he's thankful that they are hearing that, right? He understands and he, he hears their heart, right? Because they're partakers of, with Paul of grace. From there, he talks about the advancement of the gospel. Paul is always talking about the advancement of the gospel. He is an evangelist and he is loving to spread and share the love of Christ um, throughout the world. And we know that he was doing that through his mission, missionary journeys. But as we get to see in this passage, there is this selfish, selfish ambition that's happening in the church. And in that, people are, are spreading the gospel um, to make more of themselves, to, bring, to build a kingdom on the earth or a kingdom of sand. And Paul has an interesting take to me. He says, you know, I don't, I don't care why they're doing it. I'm just happy that they're doing it. Because the Lord can use whatever and whatever heart is behind the sharing of the gospel. And so you think about that, man, and that's, that's a mind-blowing statement to me. That even when I do things with a, with a, a unhumble or a boastful heart, the Lord can still use that. Now, that doesn't mean that I try to do those things. That's not, a, that's not a license to go and blow by any stretch of the imagination. But there is this opportunity to know that when we speak the gospel to people, the Lord uses that to bring them to himself. And so that's a, that's a great statement that we see Paul speaking of here. And then from there, he talks about to live is Christ. Paul doesn't know if he's going to be able to, to make it through the end and see uh, the church flourish in the way that he hoped, but he is uh, ready to go be with the Father. He says, if I die, that's a gain for me. I'm excited about going to see my Maker, the one who created me and drew me to himself. But even if he doesn't, he leaves me here. I've got a job to do, so I'm going to press into that. And part of him pressing into that is him speaking to the church here in these verses that we're going to talk about. And so in chapter or 1, verse 27, we get to see him beginning this process that we're going to talk about this morning. A life in Christ that Paul is encouraging them to have and to walk in first starts with faithfulness. And so if you're taking notes, point one is faithfulness. A life in Christ is characterized by faithfulness. Not, we're not talking about the faithfulness of God to them. We know that God is faithful. Scripture tells us time and time again that God is faithful to us. But what we're speaking of at this moment in Scripture is that Paul is calling them to be faithful to God. Not to have a life that is on this crazy, high, crazy low roller coaster, but he's talking about a steady, consistent, seeking and following the Lord. He says here, only let your manner of life be worthy. Some of your um, Bibles may say, let your conduct be worthy of the Lord. And so we see this faithfulness that is happening here. Let your manner of life be 
be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's wanting them to have a life that is pointing to Christ. And so if you're going to do a word study on this conduct or this manner of life, it points to a, a political statement, right? A political citizenship. He is telling them, hey, you need to live your life as if you are a citizen of heaven. And so the people there uh, in Philippi would have an understanding of that because uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. And so to be a Roman colony, what happened there is they would get privileges that only Rome gave to Roman um, cities or towns or colonies. So they didn't have to pay taxes. They didn't, they didn't get to, or they didn't have uh, other things that, that non-Roman colonies had to do. And so they were mindful of that, and not only just mindful, they wanted to live in good standing with Rome because they didn't want Rome to pull the colony status from them. Does that make sense? And so the word usage here is that they were to live as good citizens. And so when we give our life to Christ, what we have to understand is we're, we're no longer a citizen of the world, but we now are a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, we are to live as a citizen of heaven in good standing. See, they were, they were wanting to be in good standing with Rome. Church, can I be honest? Sometimes I'm not sure we want to be in good standing with the Lord in the way in which we live our life. You say, well, Derek, that's, that's crazy. That's a crazy statement. Is it? Is that a crazy statement? Because let me ask you this question. I don't want you to answer me, but I just want you to think about your life. Come Monday or Tuesday, does your life look as if it's in good standing with heaven? Or is that something you say for small group day, church, church day? Paul is encouraging them that it's not a once a week type endeavor. It's not a twice a week, but it's a daily consistent grind in the sense that they are striving to be a good citizen of heaven there. It says that they are to, to live a manner of life worthy. That word worthy means suitable of the gospel. They are living as a citizen of heaven, suitable for the gospel that they are presenting to the world around them. And so Paul is calling them to be faithful to the cause. He doesn't just call them to do that here, but we see this other places within Scripture as well. Philippians chapter 2, right? He calls that back to that remembrance again in verses 15 and 16. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. That he and his two friends um, were able to stave off um, over 200 people. That's what they found in the wake of them moving back and forth. So those men were unwilling to give up their spot. They had planted their flag. They had drawn the line in the sand. And they said, no matter what comes, this is where I am. Right? They're standing firm. Paul is encouraging them to draw a line in the sand, stand firm, know your faith, be faithful to the Lord and make your stand. God's calling you to make your stand in Wichita Church. He's calling you to make your stand in your neighborhood. He's calling you to make your stand with your family. He's calling this church to make a stand in this area so that people would come to know the Lord. 
And so he's desiring that they, they do this, but not only stand themselves, right? But he wants them to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he says, look, I don't want you to do it by yourself. I want you to do it as a unified group of believers. Aren't you happy that he wants us to do this together? Are you happy that he wants us to do it together? I'm going to ask one more time. Hey, are you happy that he wants us to do this together? Hey, there you go. You're awake. Awesome. Good morning. Welcome to Crossroads. Yeah, he wants us to be a unified body of believers, striving together, leaning on one another, picking each other up, encouraging one another to continue the fight, continue the race. And so Paul, as he's writing here, he, he moves away from the citizenship or the political statement type of wording, and he goes into athletic terms. This striving side by side, right, for the faith of the gospel is a picture of them doing this with teamwork. And so we talked about this, this um, personal ambition or this rivalry that was happening within the church. He's saying, look, you, you've got to... You've got to put your rivalry aside. You've got to put your pride aside, your selfish ambition, and understand that this has to be done together. You are the body of Christ, working together for the common good, much like a team. So before I was in ministry, I got to be a teacher and a coach. I was an ag teacher for three years, and then I also got to co uh, coach football and baseball. And it was, it was a fun time. I enjoy sports. I used to be decent at sports. I used to play them a little bit. They, they would let me on the team. It was a great time. But in that, we, we would have to work on teamwork. I would talk to our team as I was coaching them. I said, man, listen, listen, we have got to play together. It's more important that we play together than one person make uh, a triple-double in basketball or one person having all the tackles on the football team. We have to do this together. We are better together than we are apart. When I was coaching, I got to coach offensive and defensive line. The big uglies is what we call them. If you were an offensive lineman, it's not a, it's not a knock on your personal appearance. But yeah, man, we, we were in there. And you know, an offensive defensive lineman get no love from the football team, specifically offensive linemen. Right? There's no love for an offensive lineman. They, everybody's wanting to high-five the quarterback. They're wanting to high-five the running back, Right? They want to lift the receiver up on their shoulders because he's the little one, right? But the offensive line gets no love. Listen, if there's no offensive line, there's no quarterback. If there's no offensive line, there's no running back making any yardage. They look like the Houston Texans. I can say that I'm from, I'm from Texas. Houston's actually my team. <laughs> and so we, we have to understand there has to be this playing together Right? There has to be a teamwork, and everybody, every position is important. God has gifted each of you with a gift if you are a member of Crossroad, and he wants you to use it as a part of the ministry to reach the people around you. That's why we don't all have the gift of preaching, because we don't all need the gift of preaching. Some of us need the gift of serving. Some of us need the gift of hospitality so that we can work together for the common good. And so Paul is encouraging them, right? A life in Christ is not on your own, but it's in community. 
Right? I used to tell people all the time, you guys know the, the, the Lone Ranger? Y'all know that, that person or that figure on TV? Right? You know, the Lone Ranger wasn't even by himself. Right? He wasn't the alone ranger. But so many times we want to be that. And that's not the way it was meant to be. Right? He had his, his trusty friend with him. You have brothers and sisters in Christ that are with you in the battle. So that when you stake your flag, when you draw your line, you have people to help to lean on so that you can continue to move forward. This is what Paul was wanting the church to understand, that it's not about one over someone else. It's not about me over we, but it's us together. And so Paul says, right, stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This isn't for the, anything other than the gospel. They are moving forward with a singular focus of spreading the gospel, of being the people that God has called them to be so that they can share the love that God has called them to share. He said in that, right, in verse 28, not being frightened in anything by your opponents. Not being frightened in anything by your opponents. You don't have need to be afraid, uh, afraid or... Uh, boy, that country really came out of there. No need to be afraid or frightened, right? Because you have this opportunity to go at it together. This word frightened here is a picture of a horse being spooked. So there's no need to be spooked. There's no need to run. Because you have each other as a consolidated, unified front that says, here we are, and I'm not going to turn back. I'm going to move forward. And so you're not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but you of your salvation and that from God. This is a very great, neat part of this passage. Right? So you're moving together as one body, unified, right? In heart and mind. You're, you've stuck it out. You've put your, your line in the sand. You're going you're gonna to be a, a good soldier. You're going to um, have a manner of life that is worthy of the calling. You're, you're moving forward. It says you don't have any reason to be afraid. And through that, you're going to get to show the world around you that they need what you have. That's what that rest of that verse says. It says that when you do this, they will see you and they will know of their destruction, which means that they will be able to look at the way in which you are attacking the world, not that you're attacking, but that you're going through the world. They're looking at how you're handling hardship and trial in your life, and as they look at you, they see that something is different about you than it is about them. And so they come to you and say, hey, um, like there's something different about you. When you went through that hardship that I went through last year, like you, you didn't go through it in the same way that I went through it. When you lost that loved one, like you had hope. When I lost my loved one, I have no hope. How do, how do I have what you have? It's a picture of they're their, their missing what you have, the, the need of something greater than themselves. You're pointing them to Christ by the way in which you're living and moving forward as a follower of Christ. Guys, and so in that, you get the opportunity to share God's love. Can I tell you this morning? People don't know, and they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
so you have to take your time and be around them. And I, I'm not saying that, that cold call evangelism doesn't work. It does work. But for a lot of, of us in the ministries and the ways in which our lives are around, we have to show people Christ through our words and our actions. And through that, we win the opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. Because they see there's a difference in you. Church, if they don't see a difference in you, why would they want to come here? If you look like them, why would they want to be here? This is, you're just asking them to add more hours to their week. But there should be a difference in you. There should be a, a, a marked difference in the way in which you handle hardship and trial, in the way in which you glorify the Lord. James chapter 1 says that we are to count it joy when we face trials. I don't know anybody without hope that finds joy in trials. But as a believer in Christ, we can find that. Because we know that we're not going it alone. We know that the one who has created the world has us. And we know that he is working in our midst. And so in that, we can have this contentment, this joy, right? This joy is not a happiness, but it's this contentment in Christ. So that even when trials come, we, we are able to navigate them because of what he's done for us and the way he's proven himself faithful to us. And so he's calling them, right? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but you of your salvation, and that it's from God, right? It's not from you. It's not your own works, but it's God. Because you can't do it on your own, church. Did you know this? You can't. Right? You can't bring anybody to salvation. You can't have joy in the time of trials on your own, only through God and His power working in you. Are you able to be this person that God has called you to be? And so he says, press into it. Verse 29 gives us this next part of this passage. So a life in Christ is first faithful. Second, it's found together in community. And third, guys, he's telling us that a life in Christ is one of courage. 29, it says, For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had now here that I still have. Paul in verse 30 is basically saying, Guys, look, you, you, you're going through this. You've seen that I'm going through this and I'm still going through this. So this is not just you on your own having to go through this and have courage. It's all of us. But verse 29, let's, let's press into verse 29. That it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. That word granted means mercifully given or favored. That's, that's an awesome thing to come, into a, to come to an understanding of. Right? Paul is saying that God has favored you to have salvation. God has graces, gracefully given you salvation. And that's an amazing thing. Am I right, church? That he has found favor in you to give you this opportunity to have salvation. Yeah, he says he has granted it to you for the sake of Christ, that you would believe in him. God has drawn you to himself, that you would put your faith in him. This is what the Bible tells us, right? 
that no one comes unto the Father unless he is drawn to himself. And so we see that God draws us to Christ, and through that drawing of Christ, we put our life in him. There's this, this tension that happens with God drawing us and us giving our life to him. Because he draws us, but at the same time, we see John 3, 16, right? It says, for whoever gives, you know, you know this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes, but yet at the same time, God is drawing them to himself. It's like the same side of it. It's two different sides of the same coin. He draws us to himself, and then we give our lives to him. He's wanting us to be with him. He has favored us. He has graciously given us the opportunity to accept Christ. And so before we go any further, let me ask you this morning, do you know Christ? Because God's word lines it out. You can't, you can't have a life in Christ unless you know Christ. And when I say know, right, I'm talking about an intimate knowledge, right, a relationship, not just facts. And the Bible outlines how we can do that, that we have the opportunity because of what God did with his love for us, his great love for us. He sent his son Jesus so that we could give our lives to him. He made a way for us to be made right with himself. Church, Jesus was plan A. He wasn't plan B. Like God knew that we needed help. God knew that you couldn't do it on your own. And so he made a way so that when we understand the sinfulness of our life, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God when we understand the sinfulness of our life, we can have um, a relationship with the Father, right? The Bible continues on in the book of Romans and it says, for the wages of sin is death. So the sinfulness, sinfulness of our life causes a payment to be had and that payment without Christ is death and separation. Not just that you would die and your heart stops beating, but that you would be separated from the God of the universe that loves you and created you. The wages of sin is death. And if the verse stopped there, that'd be a scary verse. But it doesn't, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. I mean, that's a big button scripture, right? I love to see these big butts in scripture, right? Because it points us to something bigger than ourselves, right? On our own, death separated with Christ together in eternity. So we have the opportunity to receive the gift of life that comes from the Lord. So maybe this morning the Lord is drawing you to salvation. If he is drawing you to salvation this morning, know this, as Paul is writing, he says, you have been favored and mercifully given this opportunity by the Lord. Can I say something to you this morning? If you're being drawn to salvation, don't pass this opportunity up. Receive it. Take it. And so Paul is writing to them. He says this, right? It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ. Because of Christ, you have been granted the opportunity to believe in him. But here's what takes courage. But also suffer for his sake. Say, well, wait a second, Brother Derek. I signed up for this whole um, accepting Jesus as my Savior, but I didn't sign up for this the suffering stuff. 
I, I just want the good stuff. I don't want the bad stuff. Listen, you can't have, you can't have one without the other. There are people out there that refer to themselves as pastors, and they, they preach a gospel that says that if you accept Christ, that you're going to be healthy and wealthy. That's a lie. Can you be healthy and wealthy with Christ? Absolutely. Is that a precursor for you to have that? No. Because there, there are pastors that struggle with health issues. There are pastors that struggle to pay the bills. I, my family, I, I've had a son that had heart surgery at six and a half months and a wife that's going through cancer. And so if I was pressing into health and wealth, I'd be lost as a goose. But that's not the case. Because throughout Scripture, we see that when we follow Him, there is going to be trials and tribulation. There's going to be aspects of our life that are difficult. And so we need to be ready for that. We need to, to not shy away from it and run, but we need to be ready to, to plant our flag and say, this is where I stand, and I stand on God's Word because I know that God's Word is faithful. So even in suffering, I have joy. Even in suffering, I'm, really, uh, I'm ready and willing to continue forward. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. John 16, 33 said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world there is tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome it. So that we know that when we have life in Christ, when we go through these trials, these tribulations, we're able to continue forth. And we get to, we get to suffer for the sake of Christ, right? Because in our suffering, we get, to, we get to show people the faithfulness of the God that loved us and saved us through Jesus. And we don't shy away from it. Listen, if, if you know that it's going to rain when you get up in the morning and you go to work or you go to school, and you take an umbrella with you, are you worried about it when it rains? No, you're not worried about getting caught out in the rain. Why? Because you're prepared for it. But what happens if you get up and you think it's going to be sunny in 95 and you get out there and, and you get into a, 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 a torrential downpour? You're not too prepared, are you? And when you're not prepared, what happens? You tend to, to run and scamper from one place to the other, right? Almost like a drowned rat. You're just trying to keep your head above water. And see, when we follow Christ, we have to be ready for these things. When we're ready for these things, we can continue forward with what we're doing. And so listen to me this morning, church. Be prepared as a follower of Christ for trials and tribulations. Know that it's coming. Be prepared for it. How do you get prepared for trials and tribulation? Can I show you something? It's pretty cool. It's called a Bible, right? And this cool Bible, it tells you how to be a mature Christian, moving from the milk to the meat of Scripture, so that you can be ready when things come. And so God's calling us to follow Him. Paul is writing the church at Philippi saying, hey, you can do this. Be mindful, be ready, do it together. And live the life that you've been called to live in Christ. 
So church, this morning, first and foremost, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? We're about to have an invitation time. And in that, you have an opportunity, if the Lord is calling you to salvation, that you can pray and give your life to Him. Man, if that's, if that's you this morning, be courageous in that. Be bold in that. Maybe this morning the Lord is calling you back to a, a reminding of what you need to be doing as a follower of Christ. You know that you have Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but you haven't been living as a citizen of heaven. So maybe this morning He's calling you to be mindful of where your citizenship is. I got to preach GA camp not too long ago. GA camp is um, a girls' missions camp. So I had like over 200 um, first through sixth graders at a camp that I got to be the pastor of. It was awesome. It was great. But in that, we, one of the things that we talked about, we talked about the great adventure was the theme for the week. And in that, we got to visit about um, Joshua. There comes a time in the life of Moses when he's no longer the leader. And so he passes, the Lord passes the leadership of the Israelite people from Moses to Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, it says, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Joshua says, I don't know if I can do this. And it's like, listen, be strong and courageous. Joshua's like, I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, listen, Joshua, be very strong and courageous. Have I not told you that I'm going to be with you? So be strong and courageous. And so we see Joshua having to be told multiple times what he needs to do. Just like us, right? We need to be told multiple times what we need to do because we're, we're dent as humans. Sometimes it takes a while for us to get what, we're, what we need to get. And so the Lord uses his word to continually remind us what it looks like to have a life of Christ. And that in that, we should be bold and courageously following and seeking him. Because when we ask, seek, and knock, right, we find, we hear the doors are open for us. I love that passage, and I know that was kind of a, an adaptation of it. It wasn't word for word, but that is a, a picture of a continuance in asking him to make himself known to you. So when you ask for him to make himself known, and then you seek to find him, and then you knock, he says, as you continually seek after me, you're going to find me. And so this morning, church, are you seeking after the Lord? Because if you seek, you'll find him. And when you find him, right, it's time to draw a line in the sand and be courageously seeking to live the life that he has called you to live. And do it together. And just think about it. I know this is a second service. There's been, you know, ministerially speaking, a thousand people here. I'm kidding. About 400, three to 400 folks here this morning. But just think about what you could do in Wichita. So I heard a, a really interesting um, um, statistic the other day. And the statistic was it only takes 10% of something to change the whole direction of it. So it only takes 10% of people to change their mind on something to change the culture of what's happening around them. 
That's not much. When you think about the whole, there's, there's a lot of other stuff going on, but if we have you guys moving together, first service, second service, coming together, unified, seeking the Lord, being willing to use that and share that with the world around you, you could do a mighty work in this area. That the Lord would bless, seek Him, follow Him, and allow Him to use you as you look like a citizen of heaven. Amen. So I'm going to pray. Rusty, is Rick, is he around? Maybe just Rusty. They're going to play some music in the background after as I pray over you. And then after I pray over you, we're going to give you some time to continue to pray. This is how we end things at my church. And so it'll be a little bit different than what you normally do. But in that time, after I pray and you have time to pray, my, my heart is that you would seek and do business with the Lord during that time. Whatever the Lord is dealing with you about, don't leave today until you do business with Him. Use this time to seek Him, to ask, to knock, and allow Him to change you from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we're thankful for this time. Lord, we're thankful for your love and your kindness. Father, we're thankful that you call us to be your own. And Lord, in that, you don't leave us to figure it out on our own, Lord, but you, you give us a way of being able to follow you, to seek you. And Father, we're thankful that you do that, but we're also thankful that you call us to do it in a grouping of people, unified as we strive to stand firm and move forward with you. So Lord, I pray for Crossroads. Lord, I pray that their heart's desire would be to know you and not just know things about you, but to experience life with you. And it would be life-changing to the fact that people around them would notice that they would want to know. Father, I pray, Lord, for those this morning that may be sitting in here that don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And in that, Lord, I pray that you would, you would begin working in their life as you're drawing them to, to have, them, uh, have them have a boldness of their life that they would longingly and willingly and quickly accept what you're offering. And Lord, that they would follow you continuously the rest of their life. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you would, continue praying for just a few moments and then Rusty will give you focus.